Hello and welcome back to the Legal Frontiers podcast. My name is Stephen Minas. In this episode, we are bringing you the latest in our series of law and sustainability webinars. Our speaker is Dr. Hao Jiang, who is assistant professor at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, where he's directing the LLM program in energy and environmental law. Dr. Jiang is also an associate editor for the journal Climate Law. Dr. Jiang's topic in this webinar is regulatory challenges of renewable energy integration in China, past, present and future. This is, of course, a very significant time for the development of renewable energy in China, with the commitment by the Chinese leadership to 2030 and 2060 climate targets, the introduction of a new five-year plan and the process of developing renewable energy planning under that, and of course, the introduction of a national carbon market. So within this changing policy landscape, here is Dr. Hao Jiang on the role of renewable energy regulation. Well, thank you, Stephen, for the very kind introduction. Um, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for um, giving me this opportunity to share uh, some of my research with all of you. Um, so my presentation today will be about the regulatory challenges of renewable energy integration um, in China. Um, so in terms of the uh, agenda, I'm going to briefly talk about the role of renewable energy uh, in the context of China's carbon neutrality target. And essentially it's about the important role of uh, renewable energy. I'm pretty sure everybody um, has already known that. And then I'm going to briefly touch upon the supporting mechanisms uh, in China's uh, renewable uh, energy law because of the time limit. Um, so my presentation um, is going to focus on a very particular uh, supporting mechanism, uh, which is about priority access and also full purchase of uh, electricity from renewable energy sources in China. Um, it is more about the uh, specific regulatory arrangements uh, which have been adopted uh, by some of the very important uh, regulators in China, uh, for example, the National uh, Development and Reform uh, Commission, uh, the National Energy Administration, uh, etc. Um, again, because of the time limits, I couldn't really expand um, those uh, issues uh, simply because the regulatory arrangements in China regarding are still uh, developing. I'm going to tell you, for example, what's been happening in the past and also what's been going on um, at the moment. And also I'm going to uh, share some lights about what's likely going to happen um, in the future. And then finally, I'm going to um, touch upon, again, very briefly, uh, the regulatory challenges and also my own reflection about uh, what really has been going wrong um, in China uh, to facilitate renewable energy uh, integration. I'm pretty sure some of you have already known this, uh, in September 2020, uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping uh, announced at the UN General Assembly that China is committed to achieving carbon neutrality before uh, 2060. This by the general welcome of China's pledge uh, by the international community. Uh, some commentators uh, raised the concern that the pledge at the moment is not supported uh, by any specific plans. Uh, from a legal and also regulatory point of view. Uh, the essential question is how the carbon neutrality target will be translated uh, into legal obligations uh, by the data breakdown of the climate targets in China and to what extent uh, the targets can steer uh, dramatic changes of China's energy uh, portfolio uh, in the years to come. So when we look at the essential strategies uh, in China towards carbon neutrality, uh, essentially, uh, we're looking at four strategies, uh, including uh, decarbonizing power generation through wrapping up clean energy, uh, which is renewables and uh, nuclear. The second strategy um, is about electrification, uh, electrification of end use, for example, transport, uh, industry, uh, heating, and also cooling. The third strategy is about acceleration of uh, fuel switch, uh, which is essentially is about uh, cutting down coal consumption. And then finally, 
uh, adopting carbon removal technologies uh, such as carbon capture and storage um, or offset uh, through new forest uh, growth. Um, as the biggest energy producer and consumer, especially coal, China can only achieve the carbon neutrality target through structural changes to energy production and consumption, and more importantly, through phasing out uh, fossil fuels. Currently, China's economy is heavily dependent on fossil fuels, uh, which account for 85% of the energy uh, mix in the country. Coal-fired generation still accounts for 65% uh, of the electricity supply and over 40% of China's uh, CO2 emissions. Uh, relative to other sectors, electricity provides greater opportunity for emission reduction in China uh, in the short term and also the longer term uh, due to the promotion of generation, uh, generation and increasing competitiveness of uh, wind and solar power uh, generation. And I have to mention that for the moment, the share of wind and solar uh, in China's uh, power mix is still quite uh, small comparing to coal-fired generation. So in order to promote renewable energy development in China, China adopted the Renewable Energy Law back in 2005, and the law was uh, amended in 2009. Um, essentially, China's renewable renew energy law has largely followed the German model to have supporting mechanisms, including, uh, for example, renewable energy targets, and also a planning system at both the central and the provincial level, and also priority access of renewable energy uh, to the network, and also the full purchase requirement of renewable energy. And a feeding tariff uh, mechanism, which is uh, a subsidy uh, provided to renewable energy uh, generators, and also finally, the cost uh, sharing mechanism, uh, the Renewable Energy Law of China expressly provisions that the cost in relation to fitting tariff and also the reasonable cost arising from the physical connection uh, between renewable energy generators and the grid network uh, will be shared nationwide through a surcharge on the end uses of uh, electricity. So my presentation today essentially is about the regulatory arrangements uh, in relation to uh, priority access uh, to the network, which is, I think, a very fundamental aspect of uh, renewable energy integration in China, which I think is very different from other uh, jurisdictions in terms of the challenges uh, they are facing. So before I talk about that, let me just give you some very brief ideas about uh, the electricity sector governance in China and also electricity sector regulation in China as well. Um, despite some uh, differences in terms of the components of electricity markets across different jurisdictions, in the case of China, we're essentially looking at four different uh, components. Uh, first of all, for the electricity sector governance in China, uh, the general features include uh, decentralization as well as uh, fragmentation of uh, power. Uh, decentralization here essentially means that um, the electricity sector in China um, is pretty much governed by uh, provincial uh, government, as well as some of the very important and um, uh, powerful state-owned enterprises. Uh, because of the demand for electricity generation to power uh, industrial activities, over the past years, and also through the uh, process of reform, uh, decentralization of uh, decision-making is a very important aspect of uh, electricity sector governance uh, in China. In the meantime, uh, when we look at China's electricity sector, uh, sector regulation, uh, the market itself uh, is still being heavily uh, regulated, um, especially from the uh, perspectives of electricity pricing. Uh, we're essentially looking at uh, both the on-grid tariff, the uh, retail price. So both uh, the on-grid tariffs and the retail prices are still being regulated. Um, that's kind of the overall situation. I'm pretty sure some of you know uh, the recent reform in 2005, uh, sorry, 2015, uh, which is about deregulation of the pricing uh, in China. But overall, uh, the pricing regulation in China is still present at the moment. Uh, another very important feature of regulated electricity market in China is about dispatch regulation or dispatch uh, rules. 
So I'm going to touch upon briefly on that, uh, essentially about the reform of the dispatch um, in the context of implementation of renewable energy law in China. The general feature of dispatch regulation in China, again, is a very general observation, um, is administrative uh, dispatch, which is very different from a more liberalized energy market where uh, dispatch uh, is really based on the uh, marginal uh, cost of electricity uh, production. So when it comes to renewable energy uh, integration, uh, first of all, we need to put in place the uh, installation of renewable energy generators and also to ensure the physical connection of that generators uh, to the grid network uh, in the country. This is where fitting tariff uh, plays a very important role because it's uh, a very important uh, subsidy to uh, incentivize renewable energy investments because um, again, uh, from a general point of view, renewable energy generation is much more, uh, more expensive and also costly than conventional coal-fired uh, power generation. So in the context of China, integration of renewable largely depends on the expansion um, of the grid network, which is more about the physical connection um, and also the level of uh, subsidies, uh, feeding tariffs, as well as the uh, dispatch uh, rules. Um, again, in the context of China, uh, we have seen that the higher fitting tariff for renewable energy generation has really led to higher addition of renewable energy generation capacity in the country, which is pretty much shown in this graph here, because comparing to other countries, you can see very clearly that China has been really the pioneer in terms of uh, installing renewable energy uh, generation uh, capacity, which is very different from consumption, uh, because in the context of China, another very important issue is about uh, curtailment. Uh, I'm pretty sure, again, like most of you um, have, things that, have seen this either in the news or in the journal articles uh, before. So curtailment here, uh, in the case of China, uh, mostly um, happens in the northern part of the country, where there's a concentration of uh, wind and also solar, uh, renewable energy uh, sources. As you can see from this graph here, uh, in the northern part of China, uh, most of the provinces have seen significant increase of uh, wind capacity, of all the stock capacity uh, in those provinces. But then in the meantime, uh, the curtailment rate in those provinces are also really high. Uh, some of the provinces have seen, uh, for example, more than 30% of uh, curtailment for wind power generation, uh, especially in 2015 and also 2016. So to give you some more specific ideas about the uh, curtailment and integration uh, challenges China has been facing, uh, the average curtailment rate of wind power uh, in the country back in 2016 uh, is 17%. And now we've seen uh, provinces, for example, Gansu, um, Xinjiang, and also Inner Mongolia, um, with really high uh, curtailment rate. And very similarly, uh, for solar power, the curtailment rate uh, in those northern uh, provinces uh, were also really high back in 2017. Uh, Gansu and Xinjiang suffered really high curtailment rate with more than 30%. So putting this number in a more comparative uh, context, in 2016 alone, uh, the curtailment of wind power in China um, is actually higher than the total electricity consumption of the country like Bangladesh with a total population of 163 million. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, so my presentation today um, is about the regulatory arrangements underpinning uh, renewable energy access uh, to the network uh, in China. Uh, we mentioned briefly about the general uh, provision, which is Article uh, 14 of renewable energy law of the PRC. And then following that, uh, some of the very important uh, regulators and DRC, SERC, um, have uh, implemented more specific uh, rules and regulations to support the implementation of that uh, priority access rule. So I'm going to briefly mention about those regulatory um, arrangements. So essentially, this is what has already happened uh, in the past. Um, although 
uh, most of these uh, regulations and also regulatory arrangements are still in force uh, at the moment. So first of all, Article 14 of Renewable Energy Law has uh, established uh, the well-known priority access and also the full purchase uh, provision for renewable energy uh, generation uh, in China. Uh, in addition, the article has also established uh, some very important rules regarding the duties of relevant government authorities, uh, responsibilities of the grid companies, and also the renewable energy uh, generators. So let's quickly go through uh, these aspects. For the uh, relevant authorities, they are required to design specific implementation measures in relation to priority access and full purchase uh, provision. The grid companies are required to enter into a power purchase agreement with uh, renewable energy uh, generators. So the power purchase agreement uh, essentially will be the basis to determine how much electricity will be uh, dispatched. Uh, for the responsibility of renewable energy generators, uh, they have uh, to cooperate with power grid companies uh, to protect uh, what is known as uh, grid security as well as uh, stability. So the term here will come up again um, in one of the very important uh, documents issued by the ICRC uh, in the following year, which I'm going to tell you uh, in just a moment. So shortly after the promulgation of renewable energy law, uh, the NDRC uh, issued uh, a very important uh, regulatory document known as the Regulations on the Management of Renewable Energy Generation. So this regulatory uh, document uh, contains uh, some very important uh, obligations, uh, rules and obligations for uh, grid companies. Uh, first of all, the grid enterprises are required uh, to fulfill mandatory connection and also full purchase of uh, renewable energy requirements. Uh, by planning and building the physical connection in a timely manner to accommodate uh, development of uh, renewable energy. On top of that, the grid enterprises are also uh, obliged to measure and collect uh, statistics of electricity generated by renewable energy, uh, which has been uh, purchased, and also fulfilling the obligation to report uh, information to relevant uh, provincial and central regulatory uh, authorities. But in practice, based on the NEA's uh, discovery, uh, the reporting obligations um, have been poorly implemented by the uh, grid companies. And especially when, it's when it comes to uh, dispute resolution, for example, uh, a contract dispute arising from curtailment of renewable, uh, the information regarding electricity being purchased, um, as well as the circumstances affecting integration of renewable will be very important a part of the evidence. But um, unfortunately, um, when it comes to uh, practice, the renewable energy generators uh, normally don't have that detailed information to support their um, argument because of the poor implementation of this uh, reporting obligation. In 2007, uh, the SERC, which is known as the State Electricity Regulatory uh, Commission, uh, issued another very important uh, implementation uh, measures to support the full purchase of electricity from renewable energy sources uh, in China. Some of you may know that the SERC was already uh, dissolved uh, so many years ago, and its function and also staff have already been merged into the National Energy uh, Administration. But this regulatory document here is also um, hugely important because um, the SERC took a step further trying to uh, clarify um, the circumstances which allow curtailment uh, to take place. Essentially, um, it's about the either it's a force majeure event or circumstances threatening grid security and uh, stability. And also the ICRC uh, stated that uh, the circumstances threatening grid security and stability, as mentioned, shall be defined by the Electricity Regulatory Authority uh, in China. However, to date, uh, we haven't seen any official definition and also clarification regarding those 
circumstances. So the consequences of this uh, is that when it comes to the power purchase agreement, uh, the grid companies will have a much higher and a stronger bargaining power because the interpretation regarding circumstances threatening grid security and stability basically is within the hands of those grid enterprises. So in addition to that, uh, two important regulatory documents, uh, one of the very essential efforts being made uh, by the central regulatory authorities um, is about reform of the dispatch uh, regulations and rules in the context of increasing renewable energy installation uh, in China. As I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the basic rules uh, underpinning dispatch in China is administrative uh, dispatch. In the context of uh, increasing renewable energy generation, um, and of course, uh, following the rules to support priority access of renewable energy uh, to the grid. The experimentation here um, is known as the energy efficiency uh, dispatch or uh, green dispatch, which aims to establish the dispatch sequence uh, based on the level of um, energy efficiency of each generating units and also the pollutants uh, discharged. Again, sub subject to the requirement that uh, such uh, dispatch sequence does not pose any threat to the stable operation and reliability of the electricity uh, system. So based on the new uh, dispatch sequence arising from uh, green dispatch, um, we can see that obviously renewable energy um, was prioritized. Uh, for non-dispatchable renewable energy, uh, essentially those are the renewable energy generators which are not connected uh, to the transmission network, uh, which means that they can only be, uh, the electricity can only be locally consumed. So those sort of generators uh, were given like the highest uh, priority followed by uh, dispatchable uh, renewable energy. So that's really the, like the top tier for uh, dispatch. And then after that, uh, nuclear, which is known as a clean energy, will also be uh, given uh, priority uh, dispatch. But then um, in practice, um, however, we've seen um, a very different uh, story in terms of uh, implementation of this uh, dispatch uh, sequence. Uh, the trial program of this green dispatch was initiated in five provinces including Jiangsu, Henan, uh, Sichuan, Guangdong, and uh, Guizhou. Um, however, the implementation of this green dispatch experimentation was heavily resisted by other provinces um, in the subsequent rollout of this uh, experimentation uh, nationwide. Although green dispatch was able to deliver some positive outcomes for energy efficiency improvement and cost savings, uh, the benefits will prove to be uh, very marginal. And also the experimentation has also caused uh, a lot of adverse effects um, in practice. So the NDA discovered that uh, when it comes to uh, implementation, uh, provincial authorities uh, really tried to intervene uh, the process of dispatch. Uh, some of the very specific examples uh, shown here, for example, Hunan provincial government uh, deliberately linked the electricity generation quarter with uh, purchasing of uh, local coal. And also the Hubei provincial government uh, interfered the sequence of green dispatch by prioritized selected medium-sized coal-fired generation. There's very limited information regarding the ownership of those medium-sized uh, generation, but based on my own research, uh, so those medium-sized coal-fired generators, uh, most of them are actually owned by provincial state-owned enterprises, while the larger units uh, in the province uh, are owned by uh, some of the central SOEs. So the larger units obviously will have higher energy efficiency, and then based on the energy efficiency dispatch rules, those larger units will have to be given priority, but in practice, uh, in the case of uh, Hubei, obviously that's a very different uh, story. And also the regulatory arrangements on green dispatch and uh, deregulation of generation planning uh, may also blur uh, the operation of the dispatch rules 
uh, which aims to be more uh, efficient. Uh, in the case of China, uh, for example, in the north during the winter months, uh, central heating is a very important uh, aspect, which also requires uh, the sort of like the, the changes of uh, dispatch uh, sequence. Um, so the issue here is actually about the combined heat and power uh, generation units, uh, which are primarily used in the north to provide uh, central heating during the winter months. And then uh, those power plants are in fact given uh, priority uh, dispatch uh, to meet the heating demands of the general public, uh, which has the consequence of curtailing renewable energy and especially uh, wind power uh, in those uh, provinces during the winter months. So realizing the um, adverse effects of this uh, energy efficiency dispatch, uh, the experimentation essentially was ended um, after a few years and then provinces actually reverted uh, back to administrative control of operation hours uh, for generators and also uh, the administrative uh, dispatch uh, as well. So according to the uh, regulatory uh, documents um, adopted by the uh, NDRC back in 2015 as part of the electricity sector reform uh, measures in China. Um, the dispatch rules nowadays in China are known as the tier dispatch, uh, which is essentially a tier system to indicate a sequence of uh, priority access to the grid uh, by different types of uh, generators. So according to the relevant rules, uh, the top tier uh, priority includes renewable energy generators, um, as well as uh, coal-fired generators, which serve some certain purposes, and also combine heat and power units, uh, which ensure heating supply, um, and also those uh, units which have met the environmental uh, requirements. Within each tier, uh, provincial authorities are given discretion to decide the sequence of uh, priority, based on real conditions of the region and in accordance with the principles of ensuring grid security um, and stability and taking into account issues such as cost and system uh, flexibility. Although renewable energy is placed in the first tier of uh, for priority access, uh, the tier system in practice uh, legitimizes priority access by certain uh, coal-fired generators and combined heat and power uh, generation units. And obviously this is like a step uh, backwards from the very ambitious experimentation on energy uh, efficiency uh, dispatch. So from uh, various regulatory arrangements uh, before, we can see that uh, so far the dispatch rules and also the priority access for renewable energy uh, in China um, have not really been properly uh, managed or uh, reformed. So because of the really high curtailment rate uh, in 2016, uh, the central government agencies in China have taken some uh, further steps to address the issue of renewable energy uh, curtailment. One obvious changes um, is the shift of focus uh, to increase renewable energy consumption uh, instead of capacity uh, addition. And also we have seen a lot of uh, administrative mandates requiring uh, renewable energy integration uh, in China instead of relying on uh, further market reform. So I'm going to briefly uh, touch upon some of those administrative uh, mandates to give you some ideas about what's been happening um, actually at the moment. So the NDRC, first of all, realized the uh, seriousness of renewable energy curtailment in the country, and then issued these management measures for full and guaranteed purchase of uh, renewable um, energy. In these regulatory documents, uh, essentially the great enterprises are required to uh, purchase a certain amount of uh, electricity from renewable energy uh, generators. And obviously from the wording itself, you can tell this is like again, a significant step backwards from the full purchase requirement by uh, the grid enterprises based on the renewable um, energy law. And also the NDRC and NEA um, are given 
the authority to determine the annual uh, target uh, for the guaranteed amount of uh, electricity uh, purchased from renewable energy uh, generators. And then in 2016, again, the um, NDRC issued another regulatory document, uh, which is uh, to clarify the uh, legal consequences uh, arising from non-compliance of uh, not purchasing the guaranteed amount of electricity from renewable energy generation. Uh, the consequences are that provinces uh, which fail to meet the minimum uh, requirement for renewable energy integration uh, will be banned from constructing uh, new projects, uh, including those uh, which have been uh, included in the national or provincial planning or have been granted permission uh, for uh, construction. And then more specifically, uh, in the same year, 2016 and 2017, uh, the NDRC and also the NEA um, have designed and implemented this investment monitoring and early warning uh, mechanism for wind and uh, solar. So this um, warning system has adopted a traffic light system uh, to show the level of uh, risks uh, in provinces and regions uh, deemed to have higher or lower curtailment rates uh, in the uh, previous year. So when a province or a region um, is labeled as red uh, in the year when the evaluation results are published, uh, the NDRC and also the um, NEA will not approve the provincial plan for wind or solar power development in the same year. And the provincial governments will have to temporarily postpone uh, their approval for new investment. When the red color warning um, is issued, it is recommended that uh, investors make very careful decisions to build renewable energy projects because great companies will no longer accept uh, and handle new applications for uh, grid connection. When the warning result is orange, the provincial um, governments uh, will have to uh, surrender uh, very careful plans to ensure uh, the priority uh, access of renewable energy uh, generators to the grid network. Otherwise, the NEA will not approve uh, new investment uh, in the same year. Um, if the warning result is green, uh, provincial governments and enterprises uh, can basically make uh, decisions regarding the renewable energy uh, investment based on the market uh, conditions. And we can see um, here that the administrative mandates are pretty much very, very well designed uh, to ensure uh, minimum uh, purchase of renewable energy in China. And also we have seen some very quick and also uh, temporary solutions uh, to the curtailment issue uh, in China, because the NEA has already acknowledged that uh, those uh, administrative, administrative mandates have been quite effective in terms of reducing the uh, curtailment uh, rate, because those mechanisms uh, have really targeted uh, provincial authorities and also uh, enterprises uh, to adopt uh, technological and operational management measures to improve uh, system regulation capabilities and to optimize uh, priority access for renewable energy uh, in the country. According to the NEA's assessment, the average renewable energy curtailment uh, in China has been reduced uh, significantly, and also the curtailment levels have been uh, drastically uh, reduced. Uh, for example, in the case of Xinjiang and Gansu, uh, the rates um, have dropped from more than 30% uh, to less than 10% uh, in the year of uh, 2018, as well as uh, 2019. So based on information I presented to you, some of the very general reflections about uh, regulatory challenges and prospect of renewable energy uh, integration in China are that um, despite the reform uh, efforts, especially on dispatch, uh, the issue of renewable energy access to the network is still largely unresolved through a very systematic approach uh, in China. So we've seen relying on 
uh, sort of like the market, more market-oriented uh, approach, for example, through the power purchase agreement, et cetera, in the early days, and then uh, gradually moving uh, to more administrative mandates requiring minimum uh, purchase of renewable energy uh, in, the, uh, in the country. So at the moment, um, obviously, uh, the reason why the curtailment rate in China has been reduced um, is because of the implementation of those uh, mandates uh, instead of uh, the market uh, reform uh, measures. So that's really uh, one of the very general features of what's been happening uh, in China uh, right now. So the key challenges uh, here are really about the adjustment of uh, benefits caused by those uh, regulatory measures, which we look at before, uh, the implementation of the energy efficiency dispatch, as well as the uh, the tier dispatch. Uh, in the context of decentralized electricity sector governance uh, in China, provincial governments essentially are in charge of managing that adjustment of uh, benefits. But to date, uh, we haven't seen very successful uh, management by the provincial authorities uh, regarding that adjustment of uh, benefits. Some of, some of you uh, may know that um, one of the very important uh, changes happening nowadays, which is also likely to affect the uh, dispatch sequence in the future, um, is about uh, the interprovincial trading uh, because of the uneven uh, distribution of renewable energy uh, resources in China. Uh, interprovincial trading um, is a very essential aspect to allow increasing consumption of renewable energy uh, in the country. That's really something um, I haven't been uh, able to look into, but I think it's hugely important uh, in the future. So most likely, uh, we need to rely on more market-oriented uh, approach to facilitate interprovincial trading, but that's um, not really happening uh, at the moment. And also the reform of the electricity sector in China has also been very slow uh, because of many uh, reasons, for example, the resistance uh, from the great enterprises, um, as well as the uh, lack of cooperation from provincial uh, authorities. And I hope my presentation is useful uh, because I think I'm actually presenting to general audiences. So some of the information is actually quite brief and also general. I'm very happy to take any questions uh, from you. Uh, thank you very much for your attention. And also thank you once again, Stephen, for organizing this event. Back to you, Stephen. Well, thank you very much, Hal. That was a terrific uh, presentation. And I think the clearest presentation I've seen in the Chinese context of the distance uh, between capacity and consumption and the challenges uh, for an energy system which is rapidly changing in terms of its composition. We've seen some very significant targets set uh, for 2030 and 2060 in terms of uh, China's carbon trajectory. Uh, we're also now in the process of the detailed planning under the new five-year plan, and there's been some interesting reports of a renewable energy uh, plan which is being developed. So do you foresee any changes to the regulatory framework in the near term uh, to incorporate some of these new and more ambitious uh, climate change targets? Well, that is a very excellent question, Stephen. Um, I think you also touched upon a very important issue here, which is about uh, the um, increasing target for renewable energy consumption instead of uh, installation. Because in the past, obviously, the focus was really about uh, promoting uh, renewable energy installation. Uh, for the moment, I think one of the key issues, as I mentioned in my presentation, um, is about the effective uh, regulatory uh, tools which can be utilized to increase uh, renewable energy uh, consumption. So we've seen the targets, uh, for example, in the near term, uh, 2020, uh, which is about 15% of renewable energy consumption. And then based on my observation, and I think that target was not ambitious um, at all as compared to the level of uh, in-stock capacity of renewable energy uh, in China. So putting that into the different uh, words, uh, essentially that target can be easily achieved. So the key question in the future is about more ambitious renewable, renewable energy consumption uh, targets by uh, 2030 as well as uh, 2060. 
So for 2030, and I think the target can be more ambitious uh, in the sense that we've seen um, great parity, uh, which means that the uh, competitiveness of wind and solar uh, comparing to coal-fired generation has been significantly uh, increased. Some of you may know that the feeding tariff uh, for wind power has already been uh, removed. And then most likely the feeding tariff for solar power is going to be removed uh, fairly soon, which means that I think the potential for uh, renewable energy, like more renewable energy installation in China um, is great. But then the, the key challenge here, um, hopefully you can see from my presentation, um, is about uh, integration. So essentially it's about uh, dispatch because uh, we've also seen uh, because of the uh, post-COVID-19 uh, economic recovery plans, uh, more coal-fired power plants have been given green lights in China. So the competition uh, between different types of generators will be even more fierce. Again, I think when it comes to achieving the target, it can be easily achieved through uh, mandates, administrative mandates, as I've shown you uh, just now. So the key challenge here is, um, and also the key question for my research is about to what extent that mandates will be sustainable in terms of uh, facilitating a high level of penetration of renewable energy uh, in China. I think uh, for me, that is really questionable. I think eventually the whole system will have to rely on more market-oriented uh, approach. And just on that topic of moving towards a more market-oriented approach and the uh, reaching of, of cost parity, price parity in, in, in different parts of the world, including China, uh, do we see do we foresee the use of auctions for for uh, capacity competitive tendering uh, is that is that a policy tool which is being used in in china uh, the short answer is yes so we've seen uh, provincial authorities uh, using auction uh, to actually enhance the uh, competitiveness of renewable energy projects uh, we've seen that um, in the uh, more recent years uh, across provinces uh, in China, uh, which I think is also quite effective in terms of uh, reducing the cost of renewable energy uh, generation. Uh, but then the problem is, I think auction is still quite a um, small portion of the overall uh, installation or additional uh, addition, capacity addition uh, in China, because I think feeding tariff, uh, because before I think the level of feeding tariff was still relatively higher than um, other jurisdictions in China. So that's really attracting a lot of uh, investment um, for renewable energy installation in the country. Let me uh, ask you again, uh, how about something which I suppose you may not have had time to address in your presentation, but which you've looked at in, in one of the papers that you've written on this topic, uh, which is the process for resolving disputes uh, concerning uh, the issues that you've raised. And, and you have a very interesting discussion of mediation and how mediation has been used in this space. Uh, so I wonder if you could elaborate a bit on that for us. Of course, Stephen. Um, that's a very important uh, issue, obviously, as you have mentioned. Um, so one of the reasons why, because in the paper, I'm pretty sure the paper you read is about uh, renewable energy integration in China, uh, in which I talk about in detail the regulatory arrangements and also dispute resolution and remedies for uh, renewable energy uh, investors. So I did a relatively thorough uh, search for relevant cases uh, regarding uh, the disputes between renewable energy generators and the grid companies. And I couldn't find um, like a lot of uh, cases. And then I spoke to people um, about this. So one of the um, main reasons uh, preventing renewable energy generators to bring relevant cases to court, first of all, is a, a prerequisite requirement for uh, mediation, as you have just mentioned. Uh, but the mediation here uh, we are talking about is administrative mediation. Um, it's not really like the common mediation we know uh, in practice, because according to, um, again, one of the uh, regulatory uh, documents issued by the NDRC, so NDRC will play very important roles in the administrative uh, mediation to resolve any disputes arising from uh, the power purchase agreement. 
essentially it's about uh, curtailment. Because before, if curtailment uh, took place, uh, the filling tariff was not going to be paid. So obviously that will really, I mean, strongly affect the uh, investment recovery for renewable energy uh, investors. But because of that administrative mediation requirement, there's uh, basically uh, no information regarding how the disputes were actually uh, resolved. Because obviously the meeting was actually held behind closed doors and then there's no uh, publicity of that. And also another uh, important reasons uh, preventing renewable energy generators to bring relevant cases to court is because of the lack of official definition regarding circumstances threatening grid security and stability. Because in, in, the, in the contract, the power purchase agreement, uh, the grid company uh, will put into uh, like a, a clause basically saying curtailment is allowed in the context of circumstances threatening grid security and stability. And based on information I presented to you just now, obviously the interpretation of that clause is within the hands of grid enterprises. So that's really problematic uh, in the sense that even if curtailment actually took place, uh, renewable energy generators will not be able to sue uh, the grid enterprises uh, based on that particular power purchase agreement uh, they enter into with the uh, the grid company. I think that issue has to be uh, resolved. But uh, to that, we haven't seen any official definition or clarification regarding the circumstances, uh, which is clarified by the ICRC uh, document. So there's a really interesting question here, both about the interpretation of the key clause of power purchase agreements, but also about the ultimate ability to enforce these PPAs, which are presumably uh, going to be more important as, as we move towards a more market-based system. Absolutely. I think that's a very um, important issue. As I mentioned uh, at the very beginning, before everybody entered the, entered the room, I mentioned about uh, my very keen interest to do some uh, interviews. And I think that's really something I'm very keen to unfold in terms of the uh, implementation of the power purchase agreement in practice, and also the challenges arising from, I mean, observing that essential uh, rules. So I hope that we'll have a uh, opportunity in the future to present uh, my research discoveries. But let me ask you, then about how this topic of renewable energy regulation interacts with another area of expertise of yours, which is carbon trading, uh, the, the launch of the national carbon market. How do you, or, or in fact, do you expect that to have an impact on, on some of the challenges that you've discussed? Or is that something which is, which is not expected to have an immediate uh, result here? Well, um, that's a very... Um difficult question to actually answer in the very um, short um, sentences. Uh, my general observation for the national um, ETS um, is that because it is essentially a market-based instrument and it has to rely on the pricing uh, signal to play very important roles. Um, and then in the context of China, because of the slow uh, process of electricity market reform, and I haven't seen the enabling environment for the carbon pricing to play uh, important roles, uh, which means that uh, when it comes to, uh, for example, uh, divest of uh, coal-fired generation and also um, the elimination of some of the inefficient coal-fired generators, the pricing mechanism or the role of the pricing mechanism is extremely uh, limited, uh, which also means that in the near future, I think the China's national ETS, although uh, it sounds really kind of like pessimistic, um, it's going to play very uh, limited roles uh, for the simple reason that the, the, the pricing signal uh, is not going to play very important roles in the future or in the near term without uh, liberalization of the market, the electricity market in China. Yeah, so I think, I think that's very much a consensus view that, that without the ability for the cost of carbon to be reflected in the actual price of electricity, uh, the market uh, is, not, is not going to function in the way that it would if you had that flow through to the ultimate price. So as we're, as we're nearing the end of this 
a presentation how. I might just ask you if you have any final comments to offer to us, both about what you've discussed, but also what you foresee in this area of law and policy in the in the short to medium term. Well, thank you, Stephen. Um, and I think my presentation uh, essentially really focused on the problems and uh, challenges uh, which I described uh, in the context of renewable energy uh, development in China. Uh, I think something uh, I really want to uh, say is that I think uh, renewable energy will have to play a very important role uh, in the future. And I think all those problems which I mentioned will have to be um, addressed um, as well. And I think, again, from my own observation and also research, and I think the central government is quite keen to uh, address those issues. But the challenges uh, right now um, are really like at the fundamental level is the governance issue, as I mentioned, because the sector itself is uh, very much uh, decentralized. And also the uh, authority for, for example, new investment and also decision-making um, are also rather uh, fragmented. And I guess one issue which I have also observed in the research is that the central government has been increasingly relying on more centralized uh, regulatory tools. Uh, I think for those of you who are interested in this area, obviously we see a contradiction between uh, centralization and uh, decentralization. And I think for research, that's really something interesting to explore, uh, to understand what are the potential uh, complications um, and also implications arising from that uh, different trajectory of centralization and also the general context of uh, decentralization. So I'll be very keen to hear any thoughts uh, in the future in our exchange and the communication uh, in the future. And I should mention that uh, Stephen and I, we do share something in common. I think we both studied at Melbourne uh, Law School at certain uh, points. That's also where we met for the first time before, if I recall correctly. Correct. Yes. It's, uh, it's perhaps more years ago than I care to remember now, but uh, <laughs> that uh, building in Parkville is, is a building that we both passed through. Uh, and, and thank you very much, uh, Hal, for this, this presentation and this discussion. I think uh, it's really shedding light on a topic that if we look at the global challenge of climate mitigation uh, could not be more important. Uh, so thank you very much. And I look forward to your further work in this field. And, and thank you everybody again for joining us today. Uh, I wish everybody a nice day wherever you are. Uh, take care. See you later.